because the church takes very seriously what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians um, when he is saying, and in, in, in this is in 1 Corinthians one twenty three, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but unto those who are being saved, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And he goes on to say just a few verses later in chapter 2 that he resolved to know nothing right when he was among the Corinthians except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we stick to that, right? Well, hello and welcome to another good old-fashioned episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken and Kenny. I'm Matt Swaim, Director of Outreach for the Coming Home Network, along with my colleagues Ken Hensley, who is Director of Pastoral Care, Ken or Kenny Burchard, I'm getting my Kens mixed up, Kenny Burchard is Director of Development. They're all named Ken around here, except for me, and uh, we are glad that you're here for On the Journey. We've been going through... Uh, a series on the mass. We'll jump into it here in just a second. I want to remind you, if you want to catch up by watching the previous episodes, uh, you can go to chnetwork.org. Again, chnetwork.org. Uh, we also have an online community where we discuss all kinds of things and uh, answer all kinds of questions in a more personal way. Go to community.chnetwork.org if you want to be involved with that. And since we are coming up on the end of the year, it's very important uh, that if you've been holding on to a gift... Uh, that uh, <laughs> you were waiting to give, like now is the time, right? Because again, almost everything we do here at the Coming Home Network, uh, we try and offer for free, and that's only because some people have really stepped up and been generous. So if you've been blessed by this and have the ability to give, we'd really appreciate your support. chnetwork.org slash donate. All right. Uh, wow, we'll toss it job. to Kenny Burchard first, wow. because man, we got a rock and roll today. We have We've finished some major pieces of of the mass chronologically. And this is really a nice place, mm -hmm. I think, to pause and step back and think like, what are we doing here? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we've been talking together about pausing right here in the mass to do what we'll call a bit of an excursus, kind of a, a bunny trail, if you will, that'll come back to the normal trail. But, um, but we feel like we need to do this and now's a good place to do it. But so far in our series, uh, everybody, we've, we've been journeying through the mass. We, of course, from our different backgrounds, didn't come from liturgical forms of worship. And the mass was in some ways unfamiliar to us. And in other ways, um, it wasn't only unfamiliar. It was something that, um, we did, we didn't understand and maybe didn't appreciate. And so we've really felt like we want to unpack our own journey through <clears throat> discovering this in, incredible mm -hmm. experience of worship as Catholics. And uh, we've learned some terminology. Uh, we've learned um, a little bit of structure. And, and last time we were together, we, we began by talking about the introductory rites, going to Mass and what happens when we enter the Mass and how the Mass begins and how the, the liturgy mirrors the story of Scripture, the saving story of Scripture, God creating the world, the world, uh, mm -hmm. the, the humans uh, rebelling against God, the need for forgiveness, and God restoring them through his mighty saving deeds in history. 
And we're seeing those pieces show up in the Mass, in the actual structure of the Mass. And then we looked at the Liturgy of the Word, how the Bible is included uh, in the Mass, that not only is everything that we say in Mass just about a quote from the Bible, but also the Mass follows the structure of the biblical story. So we've looked at the Liturgy of the Word, the first half of the Mass, and now we're going to pause. We're going to do, um, I think, a necessary conversation, and we're going to ask this question, what is the focus of the Mass? What, what are we focused on here? What, what are, what's the big um, point of, the focal point of Mass? Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why we want to do this, guys. Um, our, our mission as an apostolate is to share the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith and the Catholic Church with people from all kinds of backgrounds who are investigating the Catholic Church and who are on a journey of discovery and of homecoming. So we want to bring them home to the Catholic Church. Well, if you engage with the Mass, no doubt you have questions. And there are misunderstandings about the Mass, one of the biggest being the focus of the Mass. I don't know about you guys, but I've heard a lot of different perspectives of the focus of the Mass. Um, from ex-Catholics and anti-Catholics that I was um, pastoring, I heard that the Mass was a focus on religious ritualism, devoid of connection with God. Um, I've, I've heard people say oh, it's, it's just a priest-focused event. Look, there's the priest up front. Look how he's dressed. It must be focused on the priest. I've heard people say, well, it's, it's a people-focused event. When you go to Mass, they're all praying, they're all singing, they're all responding, they're all moving and sitting and standing and kneeling. It's all focused on them. Um, if you come from a preaching background, I've heard people say, well, there's not enough focus on preaching at the Mass. If only there were more focus on preaching. And then we can even get into internal scuffles, uh, Catholic to Catholic, as we try to arm wrestle through the question of which rite that we're celebrating is more or less focused on God or more or less focused on the people. You know, is God more active or are the people more active or is the priest more active in the liturgy? So we need to talk about the focus of the Mass. We do indeed. And again, all these things are are. I mean, they're they're internal sometimes to Catholicism. They're external to people who like look at the the Catholic Church from the outside. But they were certainly things that when we and all of us here started going to mass, we're like, "Whoa!" I'm trying to figure out what what's the point of what's going on. Like, where's mm -hmm. where's all this going? What's what's all happening? Mm -hmm. And as as we spent, I mean, remember when we did the introductory rites uh, mm -hmm. episode and spent an hour talking about the first three or four minutes of the mass, right? There's obviously a lot of stuff happening. Mm -hmm. So what? then again is is the focus uh ken do you have anything to add to that before we dive into to more of this i only wanted yeah i only wanted to say that um you know in the latin church the you know the debate is often between the extraordinary right and the ordinary right but i just wanted to remind those listening that actually there are 23 churches in the world that are in union with with the catholic church rome in union with Rome, and among those 23 churches, Eastern churches, there are, uh, well, including the Latin, there are seven, seven different rites which are accepted as legitimate. So I suppose if we wanted to debate the question of which rite is the best, which one is objectively superior to all the, uh, the others, we got a lot of rites to dig through. 
I just want to make that comment. <laughs> well, you've got that, but you've also got uh, something that will be true of all of those, which is that they all have the same focus, right? And yeah, also, yes. uh, by the way, I've been to, as, as you're going to get into this in a second, Kenny, I've been to mass in a few different countries, and mm -hmm. I can tell you that the language was different. There were slightly different sort of cultural mm -hmm. things going on at various points and places. But what you're about to say, Kenny would have been true of all the places that I've been and all the rights that Kenny, uh, that Ken just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's true. And so we need to work through, well, what's the focus? As Ken said, we've got, you know, these seven, well, six, if you count, you know, the two forms of the Latin rite, if you, if you give each one of those its own number, seven different rites, well, which one's better? And what's the focus of this? And is it a different focus from that? And we, we want to try to answer that, that question in a substantive way. Um, and we want to share the focus of the mass from three perspectives. And just for those watching, this is, there's going to be a lot of content here. I'm going to go first and yeah, uh, what's new. I'm going what's to new? <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to share the focus of the mass from a theological perspective. Uh, Matt's going to share the focus of the mass from a visible perspective, what you see, mm -hmm. and then Ken from a ritual perspective, and then we'll go back in our time machine and look at church history at the end. But I want to start with the first part of our threefold answer to the question, what's the focus of the Mass? And look at that theologically. I find it helpful to just read the Mass. I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but you can go get the missile, you can go get the book, the big book that uh, that father is reading from uh, in on Sunday and read through the mass and just reading through the rubrics through the f the form and the flow of the mass and the structure of the mass will tell you the focus of the mass because it's dripping with theology theology mm -hmm. specifically about what we're focused on and um I want to, in order to do this, I want to learn a Catholic word today. <laughs> Remember, every every week we're doing a little bit of um, of vocabulary. So we've learned, you know, rite and sacrament and and um, you know, mass and liturgy and ecclesia. Well, here's here's the the word for today, guys. And I wrote it on my my whiteboard. It's the word through. Great, incredible, amazing Catholic word that in the form that you and I uh, guys celebrate, that word recurs over and over in the prayers that we pray. And there's a theological key in there to tell us what we're focused on. Um, in the ordinary form of the Roman rite, which is the form that we all celebrate, some people uh, understand or know it as the Novus Ordo a Mass, um, there are multiple prayers that are prayed in that Mass. And all of them end with this phrase or something like it. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Now, there's a hint here. There's a key here. The right itself is teaching us the focus of the Mass, if we will listen if we'll listen to how the right is, is speaking, as it were, then the right will tell us the focus. And the answer 
to the question is presented in a few ways using this little word through. Let me break it down with three big ideas. First, the focus of the Mass from the perspective of the gathered congregation, right? Here we all are. We're sitting at Mass. Uh, we're going through the liturgy. We're, we're doing the right. What's our focus here? Well, guys, our focus is, here comes the theology, our focus is on God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we are, as it were, looking toward God. We are facing God, or we've turned our faces mm -hmm. to God, and we've done that mm -hmm. through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking at him through Jesus, as it were. So to give you an example of uh, what this looks like, uh, we need the prayers that, that talk about this. And the first one is the collect at the very beginning of the Mass as part of the introductory rites. Now, on the 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time, which is when we're, we're recording this episode around that time of year, this year, and that's the Sunday nearest to this recording. And here's the collect prayer on the 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time. It says this, Grant us, we pray, O Lord our God, the constant gladness of being devoted to you, for its full and lasting happiness to serve with constancy the author of all that is good, and here it comes, through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Now, guys, <laughs> it's easy to forget this when you've been doing this your whole life, but through our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever, is not something like, so I wish you all the best, sincerely, Dad. This is not signing off language, okay, in prayer. It's not just religious mumbo-jumbo thrown in so that it sounds uh, Christian. Rather, the, the prayer is orienting us to what our focus is and how it's happening, um, it mm -hmm. is that we're orienting ourselves to God, we're asking for gladness and devotion to Him, we're committing to happy service to Him, asking Him to uh, help us to, to serve Him in that way, we're acknowledging that God is the author of everything that's good, and we're offering ourselves back to God through Jesus. So our focus is mm -hmm. God through Jesus. We, the gathered church, are focused on approaching God and God's very life and his goodness coming into us through Jesus, mm -hmm. our one mediator. I think I, I feel like I should pause right there. Well, I'm not sure why you're on a roll. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> okay. anyway, point well taken. Yeah. Point number one, yeah. from the perspective of the yeah. gathered congregation, the focus yes. is on our Father God through Jesus Christ. Exactly. So, so, yeah. so, in a sense, you could you could say right out of the gate. Well, uh, what's the focus of mass? Well, from whose perspective? Yeah. Well, starting with the congregation's perspective, our focus is on God mm -hmm. through Jesus. Yeah, and I was going to jump in a little faster. Uh, except the problem is, is that I would reach for a Bible, and the only one that I had close by was a zippered KJV with the tiniest <laughs> print ever committed. To uh, 
to rice paper. But uh, why are we saying this? And we say it over and over and over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. Through Christ our Lord. And the mm -hmm. congregation reflexively just says, mm -hmm. amen. Every time we hear that, we just know right. to say amen, right? Why is right. that, that we do this? Well, uh, because Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 13, he says, well, in the King James, he says, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, mm -hmm. that the Father may be glorified mm -hmm. in the Son, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Why are we asking through Christ our Lord over and over and over again in the Mass? Mm -hmm. Because we believe this. We believe exactly. this with our whole hearts as a congregation, as a church. Yes, and even Jesus himself says, no one comes to the Father except uh, yeah. through me. And so yeah. from the perspective, you know, again, answering the question, well, what's the focus of the liturgy? What's the focus of the Mass? Mm -hmm. Well, again, depending on whose perspective we're talking about, um, our focus as the gathered congregation is on God. We are looking to God. All Every action we take, everything that we do is approaching God through Jesus. Okay, two more ideas. The second is the focus of the Mass from the perspective of God himself. <laughs> Think about that. A God, because we said the right is God acting and his people acting and these coming together to have fellowship, to have communion. We're communing with God. And so we know and we believe that God is active in the liturgy. God is acting in the right. Okay, mm -hmm. well, what's his focus? What is God focused on in the Mass? Well, hint, we need a Catholic word again. Through. through. In the Mass, God does indeed turn his gaze upon his people. He looks to his people or at his people, here comes the word, through his son. In order to see this, we look at a second prayer in the 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time. This is the prayer over the offerings that the priest silently makes as he begins to um, um, engage in the Eucharistic celebration. And here it is, uh, the prayer over the, um, over the altar uh, as the Eucharistic rite begins. He says, Grant, O Lord, we pray, that what we offer in the sight of your majesty may obtain for us the grace of being devoted to you and gain us the prize of everlasting happiness through Christ our Lord. Well, what is all this? This is a prayer that God will act toward us and bring his grace into our lives. Okay, how? Well, the end of the prayer tells you, through Christ our Lord. We, we're saying, God, bring all that you have into our lives during this mm -hmm. Eucharistic celebration through Jesus. And guys, that's a prayer that God answers. He, he does it. And so in the Mass, God is at once or, or at the same time turning his gaze both upon his Son and upon the people that his son is redeeming and saving. And so God's focus in the Mass is on his people through his son. And there again, uh, you have this, this mediatorial language of Jesus bringing us back into fellowship mm -hmm. with the Father. And God accepts it. God accepts mm -hmm. it. Yeah, okay. I love the I love the few <laughs> words. I love the few words in that prayer where it says we offer 
in the sight of your majesty. That's uh, again, that's the image you want us to have that God's yes. gaze is turned upon us. It's in God's sight. Go. Exactly. Run. And and we're appearing in God's sight through mm-hmm. our Lord Jesus Christ. Um and so 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 far um, we've answered the question, what's the focus of the Mass? Well, the people's focus is on God through Christ. And God's focus is on his people through Christ. Uh, there's mm. So there's someone in the middle, right? And so we can talk about that last. Uh, the, the focus of the Mass from the perspective of Jesus. Where is Jesus looking? Or what's the focus of Jesus in the Mass. Well, again, we need our Catholic word. There it is again, in case you've forgotten it, the word through. And um, this is the prayer after communion on the 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time. And uh, we we have, at this point in the Mass, partaken of the gifts of the Sacred Mystery. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm going to actually read the, read the prayer itself, okay? It goes like this. We have partaken of the gifts of the sacred mystery, humbly imploring, O Lord, that what your Son commanded us to do in memory of him may bring us growth in charity, here we go, through Christ our Lord. So in simple terms, that prayer means that God's life can now come into our lives. God's charity. Mm -hmm. This is a a Catholic language for God's love. God's love can now come into our lives. How so? Through Christ our Lord. So in this prayer, the theology tells us that Jesus himself commanded us to celebrate the Eucharist, to eat his body and drink his blood in in, uh, the Gospel of John. Why? So that we may have life. And this is exactly what the prayer says, that having received Jesus in this way, we now have life. So Jesus is bringing us back to God. That's his focus. The focus of Jesus in the Mass is both God, on one hand, and his people, in the other hand, and his bringing back together that uh, mm. fellowship, that true communion of relationship as the one mediator. That's his goal, to unite us back to God in himself. So that's his focus. Okay, so what's the focus of the Mass? God's people are focused on God through Jesus. This is the theology seen in the prayers. God is focused on his people and his relationship with his people through Jesus. And Jesus himself is focused on bringing us into that relationship through his self-giving love on the cross uh, and bringing us to God and bringing God to us. So, theologically, that's the focus of the Mass. You could say it this way. The focus of the Mass, theologically, is the gospel itself. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, there God has turned his gaze upon the world with love, that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believes in him, there, now we're focused on God through Jesus, whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. There you see the fully orbed picture uh, in one verse, John 3.16. That is 
the focus of the Mass. If we will listen to the Mass, the Mass will teach us the focus of the Mass. You know, as you're saying that, like, that's an image that resonates with Christians everywhere. I'm trying to draw this super fast, but how many times have you ever seen, like, somebody draw the picture of, like, us, and then there's huge gulf between us and God the Father, and then they, like, draw, like, a little bridge that says, like, Jesus on it, right? Right. Or like a cross right, exactly. that fills in, like, and it. Yes. I mean, this is an image that is familiar to all Christians, um, uh, in some way, or shape, or form, and it's embodied in the Mass. The other thing, too, as you're saying through Christ our Lord over and over again, I mean, one way to help maybe people who come from backgrounds like we did to understand this is it's like, it's in some ways like the Catholic way of saying in Jesus' name, Amen, right? right. <laughs> but that being said, um, we, I mean. I heard in Jesus' name, amen, probably three or four times a, a service, right? I don't know sure. that I heard it near as many times as I hear through Christ our Lord in a Catholic Mass, right? But it's the, yeah. it's the principle yeah. of, of, again, what we were saying in, in John 14, 3, like whatever you ask in my name, um, yes. that we ask in, in Christ's name. Yeah, it's important to, you know, th this is the challenge with being um, a Christian in any tradition is that you start to get used to language and then you start ignoring it and then you start forgetting mm -hmm. what you're doing. And mm -hmm. this is why I say uh, when you're, when you don't know the focus of the mass, it's because you're probably not listening <laughs> to the mass or it's become so familiar mm -hmm. that you haven't paid attention to it. I regularly see this in, in our mass. Our priest will slow down sometimes mm -hmm. and he'll, he'll show us what's going on in what he's doing. And we'll have people go, oh, I never saw that before. And these mm -hmm. are people that have been chur in church their, their whole life. You know, they've heard these words over and over through Christ our Lord. Well, guys, that's a hugely theological statement. It's a mediatorial statement. It's a relationship statement that this is all happening through Jesus and our focus on mm -hmm. each other, God on us, us on God, is through Jesus. So that's, for my part, my big contribution to the answer uh, to the question, what's the focus of the Mass? Anything you want to add, Ken, before I jump no. into uh, the next section? No. no. All right. So the first section was going to be the theological stuff. Then there's going to be the visible stuff. That's going to be me. And here in a second, Ken is going to talk about the ritual stuff, the things that we actually do. But on the visible things. Mm -hmm. So... Again, one of the objections that non-Christians, uh, or I'm sorry, Christians who are not Catholic have about the Mass is that, like, Jesus isn't anywhere in this building. It's just a bunch of, like, ornamented gold weird stuff that I've never seen before in my <laughs> life. Well, to to kind of emphasize the idea that Jesus really is the focus of the Mass, and it, not just the theological focus and not just the ritual focus, but there's a visual focus on him uh even if you go into a Catholic church and there is no liturgy taking place. Um, but if you do go to a liturgy, there are at least, and, and this is in almost every Catholic church you will go to, unless there's something strange going on, you will find 16 explicit, visible representations of Jesus Christ our Lord. So, um, hmm. number one, the first one you'll see is the one that is very often hanging up behind the main altar where all the action is, right? So whatever else is going to happen, if you're going to have an image of Christ, you're probably going to have one there. Second of all, uh, when we get into the procession of the priest coming into Mass, and Ken is going to talk about this more, often the first person in the line is carrying up a crucifix with our Lord 
on it. And then the other 14, to get us up to 16, are all along the walls of the church, the 14 stations <laughs> of the cross in every single church just about, yes. in some way or another. And if yes. you don't know what the stations of the cross are, it's like this meditative walk through the passion and death of our Lord. Because mm-hmm. the church takes very seriously what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians um, when he is saying, and in, in, in this is in 1 Corinthians one twenty three, we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but unto those who are being saved, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And he goes on to say, just a few verses later in chapter 2, that he resolved to know nothing, right, when he was among the Corinthians except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we stick to that, right? 16 (laughs) different places in almost every single church building you'll ever walk to, a Catholic church building. But most of them it's more. Right. Because in my church, we also have an image of the Holy Family and St. Joseph cradling Jesus in the back left corner. We got an image of Jesus pointing to his sacred heart in the back mm-hmm. right corner. Uh, mm-hmm. We got Mary mm-hmm. holding the baby Jesus up front and uh, to the side. We got the lobby is full of just, it, it's go to a local Catholic church visit and count the images of Christ, right? <laughs> just go count them. It's everywhere. Um, so those are the explicit visible images of Christ. But there are a lot of places and pieces of how the church is set up that are visible representations that evoke Jesus. Um, Mm -hmm. So for instance, if you look at the way that a church is structured, it's kind of like this big, long rectangular thing going forward. But for some reason, when you get up to the front, there's these side pockets. Well, if you were to look at that from the top, what you're going to see is a cross, right? Mm -hmm. And the altar, uh, which is also a symbol of Christ, is at the intersection of the horizontal and vertical beams of that architectural cross. It's built into the language of the building, right? And then there's iconography and imagery from all of salvation history all around you. If you look at the stained glass, depending on where you are, you know, you're going to see images from the life of Christ, images uh, from, you know, perhaps the mysteries of the rosary, mapping out like the annunciation of the Lord, the visitation, the nativity. Depending on where you are, there's going to be something somewhere that points to the reality of the communion of saints, the reality of the purity of St. Joseph as protector, the reality of Mary as the mm-hmm. mother of Christ. There's going to be all these images that point to like people who knew him, people who loved him in this life. Uh, they are with us to help us enter into an, a better understanding of who Christ is as the focus of everything we're doing here. So you got that. Mm-hmm. You've got the explicit visible representations of God, of Christ. You've got the visible representations that evoke him, like the altar in the shape of the mm-hmm. building. But then you have the tangible reminders of his sacramental presence, um, which will be, you know, on the altar there at the Eucharist uh, being mm-hmm. celebrated, but also is probably already present in some real form when you walk in before Mass starts. Because if you ever look back at the tabernacle, first of all, the tabernacle is where consecrated hosts are kept, Right when there's not mass going on. And the way that you know whether or not there's hosts in there that are consecrated is there's a lamp next to it, usually a red one. Mm-hmm. And if yes. the candle is lit, that means there are consecrated hosts inside that tabernacle. Yes. It's a reminder of the sacramental presence of Christ, right? And this goes back, and we could go into it, uh, you know, and there are other, I mean, Brant Petrie, of course, spends a lot of time on this kind of thing in Jesus and the Jewish Roots in the Eucharist, of the Eucharist, about why that Mm-hmm. idea of a lamp next to a tabernacle is not something that Catholics made up in the Middle Ages, right? It is part of our mm-hmm. heritage as the people of God who wandered in the desert with the tent, <laughs> right? Before it ever came to the point of having a Messiah. And 
And with that idea of the sacramental presence of Jesus, so maybe you're okay with the visual images of Christ at the 14 stations and the crucifix. Maybe you're okay with the idea that the altar maybe represents Christ, um, that the building is shaped in a way that evokes Christ, but maybe you're not okay with the Eucharist and think that it's idolatry that we're worshiping a wafer. Well, I would just have you consider this in regard to that, and that is that if it's true what Catholics believe about what's happening mm-hmm. in that tabernacle and on that altar, then at least in our mind, we are not committing idolatry because we are worshiping Christ because he told us that that's him. Yeah. We believe, we take him at his mm-hmm. word, right? There's nobody in there that thinks, I mean, nobody in there that's supposed to think anyway, I'm going to worship this piece of bread and then I'll also, over this side of my mind, think about Jesus. No, there's not a separation in what the church is calling mm-hmm. us to do in that moment. So uh, you may disagree yeah. with us. You may disagree with what uh, our interpretation is of what Jesus is saying there, but it's not idolatry if we believe that's really Christ present among us, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah. those are the things that I would I would sort of add in terms of like the visual things that are going on. You know, Matt, I'll, I'll jump in here uh, before Ken takes it away uh, and just share, you know, we're on the journey and I'm just sitting here having this this thought about a conversation that I had with with my pastor, with my priest last weekend. And I said, man, I still I still think like a Pentecostal father in some ways. And he just laughed. But it was we were we were getting ready uh, for a retreat and he came in. Father Rob came in and he said, How's everything going? And I said, it's great. We got the table set up. The speakers are ready. Uh, the food's ordered. All the tables are laid out. All the books are on the table. Everything's here. So, and then I just did my, I kind of did my Pentecostal thing. Uh, cause it's like my mind is still shaped like how, how I was before I was Catholic sometimes. I said, so I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, so father, now all we need is for the Lord to show up. And he just, kind of cocked his head <laughs> sideways at me and he he put his oh. hand on my shoulder and he turned and he pointed at the red candle in the sanctuary and he said kenny the lord is always here hmm. the lord is always here and he just smiled at me and i was like oh man <laughs> i'm still learning how to think you know like a well-formed catholic because it's like everything you just said mm-hmm. matt is so true like we don't we, we we don't th- you know think in terms of God coming and, and going like He's here He's always here uh, in a, in our church. Yeah, and just to double down on that, right? Because <laughs> you know we we would say, well, Christ is present among us. He's present in all these places. Why are Catholics talking about like He's trapped in that box up there, right? Or trapped in that uh, consecrated wafer? Like, well. Mm. Was he trapped in his body walking around Galilee? Was he trapped <laughs> right. in Nazareth with no plane ticket right. to get to Honduras or the Philippines, like to go evangelize? No, he was not trapped, right? He chose to be specifically incarnate mm-hmm. in place and time because mm-hmm. he is the word made flesh. It is not any mm-hmm. crazier to say that the Christ who became present 20 centuries ago in a specific place, chose also to be present in the present day mm-hmm. in specific places, in specific ways. It's not crazy. Yeah. It doesn't mean oh, he's not present everywhere either. 
Matt, I feel kind of bad, though, because if any Trappists listen to this, they're going to want to change the name of their entire order, you know? They're going to be called the uh, the Liberatedists. <laughs> they're not, they're not going to want to be associated with this idea of Jesus being trapped. Okay, look. Oh, then I can't let do me, my good Star Wars joke there. It's a Trappist. No, I can't do let, it anymore. Let let me take over at this point, because that's always good. wise to, to do. <laughs> go, Ken. Go, Ken. Oh. It's always wise to let me take over. Okay. Okay, I'm thinking... And I hope that during the time when you were speaking, Matt, I hope that, that maybe Seth can find a couple of great images of beautiful interiors of churches and just sort of yeah. put them in there, you know, because I'm thinking, yes. you know, a, a Catholic church is not like a building. It's like an art gallery. It's, it's like you walk into a Catholic church. I mean, all these things you listed, Matt, I'm just thinking about this, the 14 stations of the cross, beginning with Jesus before Pilate being condemned and then winding up, you know, in the tomb being, and, and then just all of these images, and then you throw in the stained glass windows that might be showing the baptism of Jesus, or might be showing Moses on the mountain getting the log. It can, it's like the whole Bible is being taught there on the inside, and the focus is Jesus. So anyway, let me get to my part. Brilliantly, Kenny, you have talked about the theology of the Mass, and I really love, you know, I don't know where you dig this stuff out, but, but I love it. From the three perspectives of our perspective as a people of God, God's perspective, and the perspective of, of our Lord. And you have shown conclusively that the Mass is about Jesus. The focus is about the Gospel. The, the Mass just screams out, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. And that's why it is so strange. I think you mentioned this a week ago or two weeks ago. It's so strange that you can run into Catholics once in a while who's, you know, who have become evangelicals and will say, you know, mm -hmm. I grew up in the Catholic Church and I never heard that Jesus loved me. I never mm -hmm. learned that Jesus had died for me. It, it, it's an impossibility. But anyway, so yes. you've approached it theologically and then Matt has approached it beautifully, uh, beautifully, yeah, the, the visual beautifully, um, showing how all of the visuals, the building itself, the way it's structured, all of the artwork with inside also speaks of Jesus. And now it's my job to talk about the ritual or the liturgy. And I want to point out that everything we do, now I'm talking about the actions, what, what we do, everything we do through the Mass is also focused on Jesus. And I'm going to run through mm -hmm. these items, but um, take them in. Mm -hmm. I'm walking through the door into the church, and the first thing I do is I dip my finger into the holy water, and I cross myself in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I remind myself of my baptism by which I entered the church to begin with. And I'm thinking about Romans chapter 6, where Paul says, those of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ have been baptized into his death so that we might be raised from death to new life. So you walk in the door, and the very first thing you do is remind yourself of the fact that we have died with Christ and in Christ and been raised to newness of life. Okay, then I take a few steps down the aisle and I stop to genuflect before I enter the pew. And in what direction do I genuflect? I see you nodding, Kenny. I, I do not genuflect toward Mecca. I, I, I don't genuflect toward my favorite baseball team or football team or to Hollywood or the uh, uh, some some band I love. I genuflect toward Jesus in the tabernacle. Once again, Jesus is the center. We recognize that the King is present with us, that he's here. Now, coming from a Baptist background, and I'm sure you two feel the same way on this, 
the whole idea, this whole idea was entirely new to me. In fact, before it would have been insane, um, but entirely new to me. You know, I knew there was something mysterious about Catholic churches. There, there's no way to, to escape it. The lighting, the dim lighting, the candles, the incense, the gold, the silver, as Matt said, all the, the gold and silver, what you call it. Why did everyone become so quiet when they went into a Catholic church? So I knew there was something about a Catholic church that was sort of awesome. You know, I mean, if it was a beautiful, well-done Catholic church, it was sort of awesome and mysterious and all that. But I had no comprehension that it's because of the Catholic belief that Jesus is there, that our Lord is there. And I have to throw in just quickly a story about my grandson, Johnny, because it's just so wonderful. He's been raised now as a Catholic. When he was nine or 10 years old, he got a new basketball for Christmas. And uh, we're down at mass on Sunday, the Sunday um, after, or maybe it was Christmas day mass, you know, and, and um, we're all piling into the van or the cars to go home after, after mass. And I'm looking around and I said, where's Johnny? You know, Johnny wasn't around. And we're looking around the parking lot and all of a sudden Johnny comes running out of the side door of the church with his basketball. And he, he comes up and I, well, what were you doing? And he says, I went to show Jesus my new basketball. Oh, and that just oh, yeah. floored me. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That just, wow, wow, it wow. tore me up and it tore me up with joy and it just floored me because I realized he's being raised in a world that I, that I knew nothing about. Oh, okay. So there's that. Mm. Okay. Then the mass begins, the priest, the deacons, the altar servers, process down the center aisle. And as Matt mentioned, who is leading the way? <laughs> Our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen. Held up high, leading the way. So it's just, it's amazing. Then the priest hmm. proceeds to go up to the altar around the backside of the altar and bend over and he kisses the altar, which is the center point, the focal point of the entire church. The altar hmm. where these words, these words, this is my body, this is my blood of the new covenant, are going to be spoken at the high point of the Mass. Again, mm -hmm. Jesus is the focus. Then the priest begins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And after we confess our sins together, what do we pray? Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Jesus is the center of everything. And then we recite the Gloria together, which is focused almost entirely on Jesus. And I, and I want to read it so those mm -hmm. who don't know it can hear it. But notice how much of this prayer, this praise, this song that we, that, that we recite is about Jesus. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you. We bless you. We adore you. We glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us, for you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. After this, we launch into the liturgy of the word that we talked about in, in our last episode, 
where the Bible is read at length from the Old Testament, from the Psalms, a New Testament epistle. And this reading culminates in a reading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The book of the gospel, which is a separate volume, is carried across the front of the church, um, held high. You know, the deacon holds it up or whoever's going to read is holding up above his head. As he announces the reading, we make the sign of the cross on our forehead. May the word of God, may the gospel sink into my brain. We make the sign of the cross over my over our mouths. May we speak the gospel of Christ and over our hearts. May we treasure it within our hearts. And before he reads it, he bends over and kisses the pages of the gospel too. And often there are you know uh, often there are altar servers standing on either side with candles lit to symbolize that this is the word of God. Okay, and then the homily comes. The homily is usually focused on the passage from the Gospels, so it's focused on the teaching of Jesus Christ himself recorded in the Gospels. And when the reading is done, oh, I'm sorry, it's proclaimed first, and when it's done, the lector says, the Gospel of the Lord, and we all respond, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Then there's the homily, which is teaching us, which is proclaiming the words of Jesus Christ. And after that, we pray to the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we're about halfway through Mass now. We're almost halfway through Mass, and it's been Jesus, 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 the focus, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, all the way. Then, after we pray, we recite the Nicene Creed together. And I want you to hear the Nicene Creed as well. Some of you may have never heard it. This is the first major creed of the Christian church, um, designed at the uh, at the first ecumenical council of Nicaea in 325 AD. And this is what we recite, all of us together, standing and reciting, just for those who may think, you know, you Catholics don't believe in God, or you don't believe in this, or you don't believe in that. This is what we recite. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him, all things were made. In, in other words, deep Christology we recite together every single Sunday. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. And then we all bow our heads a bit as we recite this next part. And by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. And, and then we go on to recite, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. We recite, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, baptism for the forgiven. But the whole thing is focused on Jesus. The majority of it is a statement of very deep Christology. Mm -hmm. After this comes the liturgy of the Eucharist, which is the heart of the Mass and which we're going to unpack in some detail over the next couple of episodes, I would think. And so all I will say at this point, Kenny, is that, is that this part of the liturgy is about nothing whatsoever but Jesus Christ and his sacrifice his being the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. The entire mm -hmm. 
focus is on Jesus and those words, this is my body, this is my blood. Then Amen. comes the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And after the prayer finishes, what does the priest say? He's, he, he, he begins to pray, Lord Jesus Christ, you said to your apostles, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. And it's at that point that we share a sign of peace with one another in the church. I'm almost to the end. After this, three times we proclaim, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, grant us peace. The priest will hold up the consecrated host and the chalice, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Is this about Jesus or is it about something else? Is the Mass about something else? What is the focus? He says, behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb, to which we respond as, as we kneel at our pews. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter my roof. I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. It is all about Jesus Christ. The entire liturgy, the entire ritual. Last, last of all, we get up and we all walk forward. Unworthy, we walk forward to receive the body and blood of Christ. And you mentioned to me the other day, you said, talk about an altar call. <laughs> That's true. Talk about literally, literally an altar call as we go forward yes. to receive. Oh, so in, in short, let me wrap up. How I, I'll put it as a as a, a rhetorical question, but I ask you and I ask Matt: How could the liturgy of the mass? How could the ritual of the mass? How could the things we do from the beginning of the mass to the end? How could they be any more focused on Jesus and the gospel than they are? Anybody have an answer? Mm -hmm. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Yeah. yeah. Anyone? I, How could I they know, be more? I, I know. I, I find myself listening to both of you trying to hold back the emotion, honestly. And I think part of that has to do with, you, you guys have heard me say this, and those who've, who've watched my contributions to this program have heard me say that I, I learned in some ways how to be an anti-Catholic and how to be suspicious of Catholicism mm -hmm. And, and how to be suspicious of what was going on at the Mass from the people that I was pastoring, many of them ex-Catholics who'd become anti-Catholics in varying degrees, mm -hmm. who would say almost the same thing you said earlier, Ken, well, I grew up going to the Mass, and I never heard anything about Jesus. I never was, Jesus was never talked about. Jesus wasn't known in the Mass. There wasn't anything about Jesus in the Mass. And so this is rattling around in my brain, you know, for years. And my final year of seminary in Central California, we took a field trip together as a class. We, my seminary graduating mm -hmm. class went down to Los Angeles for a couple of days to visit different places. 
And one of the places that we went was to the Los Angeles Cathedral in the center of, of L.A. And we went to a mass together, a weekday mass. And I found myself starting to kind of fall apart a little bit in this, in this mass. This is years before I would become a Catholic. And all these times that I'd heard, you can't find Jesus in the Mass. Jesus isn't in the Mass. The Mass doesn't know anything about Jesus. And I go into the cathedral in Los Angeles, and it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus mm-hmm. everywhere. Just like you said, Matt, in in the furnishings, in the in the in the visuals, mm-hmm. in the prayers, in the the whole way that everything was done. And I got out of there, and I told my wife. And she asked what I liked most about the trip. I said, I liked the mass at the L.A. Cathedral. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, why? I said, I don't know how to say this except to say that it was it was one of the most Jesus-focused events I've ever been to as a Christian, and I just wasn't expecting mm-hmm. it. And uh, and I think that that's one of those things that just started to awaken me. And so I'm like you, Ken. I, I have a really hard time now. Like, I get emotional when I hear ex-Catholics say they didn't know anything about Jesus uh, when they were were Catholics, because I just see him everywhere. Yeah, and and, I mean, I left out a whole bunch of stuff, too, about the possible ways that Jesus is visually represented even in some of those buildings. Now, some of those buildings, we've been in churches that are not, you know, they're not stunning. In the same, not way. not all are but, created equal, <laughs> right? They're not all created equal, and especially there was a there've been a couple of rough decades in the middle of uh, the last century when they were not yeah. created the best, right? But they're still they still have to have certain things kind of in place in certain ways to communicate what's going on. Um, yes, you know there, there are other visual things that speak to. I mean, you may not see always the pictures of Jesus everywhere, but sometimes you'll see the mm-hmm. A with the O circled through it. That's a direct call back to the revelation where jesus says i am the alpha and the omega right you may mm-hmm. see a pelican surrounded by baby pelicans and you don't maybe not realize that that's a, an early symbol of christ the pelican tearing its bl- uh, breast and feeding its blood to its young that they may have life mm-hmm. right that's an image of christ mm-hmm. like images all over the place but mm-hmm. you know to tie in what you were saying ken about ritual and what we do saying what we believe all the way back to what you were saying at the very beginning, Kenny, when you were saying, through Christ our Lord. It's all through Christ our Lord. And I couldn't help but think, um, how does the Mass end and begin? It begins with the sign of the cross. It ends with the sign of the cross, right? What do we say mm-hmm. when we make that short prayer? We say, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Right? We're saying we enter into the life of the Trinity. But what's the physical motion we do to represent that? It's the cross, (laughs) right? It's through the cross that we enter into the life of the Trinity. The thing that people associate with Catholicism that Mm. they think means nothing, right, is in fact the thing that bookends the whole process and speaks directly to the truth of what's happening at the heart of every Mass. Yes. So good. Yeah, and you so know, good. what you're saying about um, people maybe hear these words all their life, and, and it's become so common that they don't pay attention. They don't think about what's being said. Mm-hmm. And, and an, an analogy would be how you can walk around th- th- this beautiful creation 
at times and just get used to it. You know, like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just used to the fact that grass is green. There's nothing miraculous about that. And I think as Chesterton that said, hey, if grass came up red one day, you'd be just stunned, you know, <laughs> but, but because it's always green, we don't realize what a miracle that is or what a beautiful thing. Or you look at a tree, you know, I was just in Maine a couple of weeks ago helping to lead a coming home network retreat and and the leaves on the trees is these beautiful colors. So it, it, it's an analogy. We can walk around this planet and fail to see God in it, even though Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky, you know, the, the creation is screaming out the glory of God to us. And in the same way, you can sit in mass, and I do it too. You can sit in mass and you can forget, or you can just drift off and you don't really hear what's being said. But anyway, mm. uh, uh, unless you have something you want to comment on, I'm going to bring this thing around. Okay. Anyway, Good. so uh, as we've done each week so far in this series, we've wrapped things up by reading a quotation or a couple of quotations from the early church, and we're going to do that again. Today, we're going to read two quotations. The first is from Justin Martyr, again, writing around 150 AD. He's writing about the focus of the Mass in his own day, and this isn't from his uh, first apology or his second apology. We've quoted from the first apology a couple times. This is from a work that he wrote called Dialogue with Trifo the Jew. This was a debate that he carried on. It's a very lengthy um, piece, actually. I wrote a paper on it back in college, which kind of cracks me up because I had no idea about the early church. But but um, it, it's a dialogue with Trifo the Jew in which he is making the case for the truth of Christ Christianity. Anyway, he writes in the first and last paragraphs of section 117 of this work, and I'm quoting now, accordingly, God, anticipating all the sacrifices which we offer through his name, through this name, and which Jesus the Christ enjoined us to offer, that is in the Eucharist of the bread and the cup, and which are presented by Christians in all places throughout the world, God bears witness that they are well-pleasing to him. And then a couple more lines. For there is not, I love this, there is not one single race of men, whether barbarians or Greeks, or whatever they may be called, nomads or vagrants or herdsmen living in tents, there is not one single race of men among whom prayers and giving of thanks are not offered through the name of the crucified Jesus. And this, this is an amazing statement made in 150 AD. It reminds me of another statement by Irenaeus where he says, you know, we are one church, we speak with one mouth as though we had one heart, whether you're in Germany, whether you're in Syria, whether you're in North Africa. It's an amazing statement about the spread of the church by 150 AD and, and about what was being done with this focus on the Eucharist, the bread and the cup in this name, in, in the name of Christ. And then one more quote to close. This is from the Didache. Please listen to the prayers that were being prayed over the bread and the wine of communion during the Mass, because it's likely that the prayers I'm going to read here now were written, some of them, maybe before all the books of the New Testament had been written, very early during the lives of the apostles. Here is the Eucharistic prayer, a, a, a key to understanding the focus of the Mass among the earliest Christians, from Didache chapter 9. Now concerning the Eucharist, this is how you are to give thanks. First concerning the cup, pray, we thank thee, our Father, for the holy vine of David, thy servant, which you made known to us through Jesus, your servant, to you be the glory forever. And concerning the broken bread, pray, we thank you, our Father, for the life and knowledge which you made known to us through Jesus, your servant, to you be the glory forever. 
even as this broken bread was scattered over the hills and was gathered together and became one, so let your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. For yours is the glory and the power through Jesus Christ forever. Mm, 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 mm. Amen, amen. Woo, guys, man, oh man. You know, for for my part, Matt and Ken, my my last comment here, um, for those who may be watching, uh, I'd be I'd talk to to two people specifically. I think first of all about some of the people that I was pastoring back when I was Pastor Kenny, and half my church was ex-Catholics, and they told me they'd never gone to a mass where they heard anything about Jesus. And I would say to that anyone who's like that who's watching. Go back to Mass and look for Jesus. He's everywhere. Listen again with fresh ears. See again with, with clear eyes. Go and see what was always right in front of you when you were, when you were growing up that maybe was just hidden in plain sight. Jesus mm-hmm. is there. And, and then to the one uh, who might be like me, who was never a Catholic, but the Holy Spirit said, go and visit a Catholic church. And I went in with my suspicions and my misgivings and my, um, you know, just my nervousness about what I was going to see there. I would say to that person, go to Mass and open your heart and open your mind and open your eyes and look and see. Hmm. Jesus is everywhere from top to bottom, from left to right, inside, outside, upside, downside, whatever side you're looking at, whether it's what you see, what you hear, what Mm -hmm. you taste. (laughs) Jesus is the focus of the mass. Yeah. And uh, if you're uh, coming from any other kind of tradition, you know, where you've planned a worship service, right? Uh, I would just say think through too. Like, did you have a, do you have a game plan like this? Like, what was your game plan mm. when you were, you know, coming mm. up to plan plan these kinds of services or planning worship mm-hmm. nights? Mm-hmm. You know, I never was a pastor, right? But I was tapped to play guitar at a bunch of praise nights and and those kinds of things through the years. And and never in a million years did I think on these kinds of levels, incorporating mm. all these things that pointed to Christ from a million different directions. Um, it's just a, it's a staggering thing. And we haven't even gotten to the climax of the mass yet, by the way, <laughs> right? This is our, this is our pause section. So, um, yes. Next we're going to get into the liturgy of the Eucharist. And again, by this point, mm-hmm. uh, where we've paused, we've, we're like 25 minutes into the mass. So <laughs> hopefully this deep dive is helping some of you uh, to understand it a little bit better. If you want to go and, uh, catch the previous episodes, go to chnetwork.org, click on, on the journey. It's under our resources tab there. Uh, Ken mentioned uh, a minute ago that, uh, we do these retreats for people who are at mm-hmm. various stages of their journey and looking for help. And if you're a pastor right now, or have a background in pastoral ministry or professional work in any kind of Christian background, uh, we actually have ways uh, to support you to try and try and get you out there. So if you're worried about the money part of coming on a retreat, call us. Right, get in touch with us. We we want to we want to see what we can do for for our brothers and sisters who are active in in Protestant ministry to just make it to where you don't have to worry about that part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason we're able to do that is because of the generous support of uh, a lot of people who care about you deeply and uh, 
want to share table with you. So if you're one of those people who wants to help out, if you benefit from this, or if you want to see others benefit from these and other programs uh, into the years coming up, please do consider making a gift at chnetwork.org slash donate. Ken Kenny, mm. another good one. Meaty. Good, good yeah, to be with you guys again. want to go to mass. <laughs> Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay, fortunately, I'll there's one every day. There's multiple yeah. every day <laughs> in your yeah. town. So uh, masstimes.org if you want to check that out. Uh, all right. I'm Matt Swaim. Thank you again for joining us on On the Journey. We'll talk to you next time around. See you next week, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>